This week, we're limiting licorice separation distances. It is now spring. Spring is here, and there will be no arguments on that file or debate on this subject. Spring is here, winter is over. This week, we're joined by a special guest, Mel Priestley, to talk about Edmonton's ongoing debate about liquor store distances. We'll also talk about the Mayfair decision. Well, it's almost a decision. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 28. In this episode, we're going to be talking a lot about liquor store separation distances. A long, long, often debated topic in Edmonton. And this week, we're joined by Mel Priestley. Hi, Mel. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So you've been a freelancer for Taproot in the past. You're a freelance journalist here in town. Uh, You're a new mom. Congratulations. Thank you. And you and I know each other from the Food Council as well. Um, But we're excited to hear your thoughts on liquor stores so tell us maybe just off the top of the show why should we listen to what you have to say why about liquor stores uh well i have been in the liquor industry for quite a while um so i started off uh, working at a small independent shop on the south side in the early 2000s then i worked at divine wines and spirits which is downtown and is kind of directly relevant to this because they're located downtown and that's what we were talking about this week at council and uh, so I worked there from 2005 to 2008. And then around that time, I also started writing about wine. So I've been writing about wine for 10 years now, almost just a little bit over. Uh, first in C Magazine, RIP, and then in View <laughs> Weekly, RIP as well. And uh, now for Avenue Magazine, I have stuff in there regularly about wine. Awesome. So you're an expert. We're not. That is true. I am an expert in very, very few things and very few of them appear on this podcast. But one thing I am an expert in is writing rapid-fire jokes in the rapid-fire segment. The Muttart Conservatory is closing until 2021 in order to complete some overdue mechanical and electrical upgrades. This coincides with the city's plan to redevelop Gallagher Park, for which they're currently soliciting feedback. The city says that Gallagher Park redevelopment should be completed along with the Valley Line in 2020. For those of you keeping score at home, that means in 2020, we're going to have Smart Fare, a transit redesign, the Valley Line, Gallagher Park, and a partridge in a pear tree. Former Edmonton Mayor Stephen Mandel is now allowed to run in the provincial election this spring. After he failed to file his campaign disclosure forms on time, he was barred from running for five years, which a court overturned on the basis of eh, it would have too many negative consequences to justify strictly enforcing the rule. Uh, The leader of the Alberta party, who is campaigning to become premier, called the legislation undemocratic and vindictive, and said that the government weaponizing itself against politicians has to stop. The obvious solution, if he were to win, would be to vigorously repeal the vindictive law in retaliation after it hurt him personally and, oh, oh, hmm, okay. A group of chickens were seen crossing an Edmonton freeway this week. While motorists thought that some elaborate joke was being played, it turned out it was just hen day. (laughs) I'm not proud of that one. I love that one. Um, It's cute. I like the innocence. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. And Let's Do Coffee is hosted by the Maji Center at Nate. Each episode features an interview with a student entrepreneur or Nate alumnus. They dive into topics that explore their challenges, questions, and fears involved in operating their companies. It comes out every two weeks, so you can find out more at nate.ca slash Center. So, we're joined by a guest this week, and we'd be remiss not to use a guest's vast 
extensive repertoire of knowledge, in this case about liquor stores, to talk about what happened this week and what happened this week, Mac. So first of all, this was this went to a committee this week, a report on uh, separation distances between liquor stores. And so what the recommendation was from administration was to eliminate the 500 meter separation distance between liquor stores in downtown and Oliver, so in the downtown core. And there was a couple of other things that went along with this. They were going to create this liquor opportunity area, and they talked about merging the use classes for major and minor um, alcohol sales, which are currently separate for some bizarre reason. And there was a few other things, Mel. What happened? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so the main one was the separation distance. That's kind of what got the majority of people's um, opinions and got people really fired up. But they wanted to eliminate the use classes, major and minor. It's just based on square footage. Um, And they found that that was kind of irrelevant because a small square footage retailer can sell just as much, if not more, as a major one, major being just bigger in square footage size. Uh, They also wanted to introduce some new design requirements uh, for safety and for um, just general improving of liquor stores. And they also wanted to change the parking requirements. So the parking requirements are are pretty outdated because they're based on a model back when there were very few liquor stores in Edmonton and everyone had to drive to them. And now there's liquor stores everywhere and you don't necessarily have to drive to them, especially downtown. And we're looking at parking minimums full stop. So it would make sense to apply it here. So what happened with the separation distances? They are keeping them. So downtown is going to keep its 500 meter separation distance. Probably not to many people's surprise. Um, My unpopular opinion, though, is that they they should have gotten rid of it, which sounds really bad when you when you just kind of say it and and leave it Um, because there's so much bound up in this issue. And I don't mean to make light of it because in liquor, I mean, whenever you're talking about it, there's some very real and serious issues with substance abuse. Um, And especially in the downtown core, you have a very vulnerable population. And so there was a lot of talk at council about that. And rightly so. Councillor Paquette said, I've never actually heard a positive that if you have a problem with alcohol in the community, pour more liquor on it. He did say that. Yeah. And so very strong words. Um, I, I would maybe question whether or not removing the separation distances would be akin to pouring liquor. Like, I don't think we would see dozens of new stores opening overnight. I I think that's a little bit of a stretch. So this came about partly because of Ice District, right? That's right. Or the most recent occurrence. Yeah. So this has been an issue that's been popping up at council over the last mm, quite a few years, like three years, and it kind of comes up every almost two-year intervals. Um, It was technically Stantec on behalf of the Ice District. So, you know, the Cates group. Daryl Cates. Uh, Daryl Cates. Uh, They wanted to open a liquor store in the arena district and they can't because there is already one there. And under the current bylaw, which mandates that there has to be 500 meters between liquor stores, um, you can't have a new one. So take us back a little bit because this has been the bylaw for since 2007. Oh, that so, is not forever. <laughs> no. <laughs> so um, again, it has been popping up in in the news um, sort of in recent memory. So it's not like this has been forever. If you want to go right back to the beginning, uh, you go back to when the province privatized liquor in 1993, 1994 is when it really kicked off. At that time, there was something like 25 liquor stores in Edmonton. So they were government run uh, originally, then they changed to private. Um, since then, we now are sitting at o- over 250. I think we're, we're creeping up on 300 if we haven't hit that already. So we have tons and tons of liquor stores, which is no surprise. You've opened up a brand new market and it was very lucrative. 
in 2007 at the behest of ALSA, which is the Alberta Liquor Store Association, who spoke at all of the council hearings, I believe, on this issue. Um, it was their prompting to introduce the separation distance in Edmonton and in Calgary as well. So Calgary also has one. Um, theirs is 200 meters. Ours, we went a little bit more stringently with 500 meters. Uh, and the intent was to uh, limit or stop the proliferation of liquor stores on especially the really high commercial areas. So Jasper Avenue, White Avenue, 118th Avenue, um, 107th Avenue, those those areas where we were seeing a lot of liquor stores coming up and um, and maybe too many and people were arguing that the concentration was too high. In Edmonton, we also restrict it within, I think it's 100 meters of like schools and community centers. And right? parks, yeah. And so parks, and yeah. that that is pretty much, I think, no one's, no one's debating that. Everyone's right. fine with keeping that. That's not really on the table. So I imagine the intent behind this bylaw is sort of when you have places like 118 Ave, Stony Plain Row, you'll drive down and you'll see a lot of pawn shops, mm -hmm. cash money, and it's not a great feeling um, walking through that. I assume that's sort of the intent with this separation distance is to stop liquor stores from proliferating in the same way. Absolutely. And I think what you have to keep in mind is the type of liquor stores as well, right? So, and, and that came up in this debate. Um, and there, there really is a, a big difference between um, Divine Wines and Spirits, which is where I used to work and was mentioned by Councillor McKean as, you know, an example of a store that's really positive and brings a lot of good things to the area. Um, you know, they, they, they're part of the community. Um, they minimize all of the unsafe practices with regards to selling liquor and uh, and they're generally there to sort of improve the livability of the downtown core um, and then you have discount retailer stores so discount liquor stores where you know they often they've been accused of preying on uh, vulnerable populations with various predatory business practices uh, it's it's kind of those that we're targeting and that's kind of what's at the heart of um, this debate is is kind of how do we minimize the not great liquor stores so maybe you guys can help me out here. I'm trying to visualize in my head, like, how far is 500 meters? Two and a half blocks. Two and a half blocks. Because, for instance, on Kingsway Avenue, there's the Chateau Louis, which is a pretty popular liquor store. And yep. there's also a, a superstore liquor store there is, yeah. in that parking lot. Yeah. So that must be just over 500 meters away? No, I think, um, I'm pretty sure from that example that they actually had an exception so that little liquor ah. store that's in the strip mall across the parking lot from chateau louis they were there for quite a long time i actually used to live like two blocks away from there okay um and my husband actually worked at chateau louis liquor store so i'm also very familiar right. with that area um yeah so it was a little independent operator um that owned that and this is before that superstore moved in it used to be a not a Sobeys. I think it was a sa it was a Save on Foods before. Save on Foods, right? Yeah, Save on Foods, and then Superstore came in, and when Superstore came in, they wanted to open their own Superstore liquor store, so they bought out that guy who had uh, that small liquor store there, and there he was grandfathered in with his liquor license, and that is also kind of a major part of this debate, that I think was um, a little overlooked, or maybe people didn't understand the fact that um, when council brought in the separation distance in 2007 to 500 meters, 60% of the operators were essentially non-compliant, which meant that they were located closer than 500 meters to another operator. Mm -hmm. So you've essentially grandfathered in over half of uh, the existing retailers, and you've also made their license worth a lot of money, because if another operator wants to come into that area, they have to buy your liquor license. They're not going to be able to set up shop themselves in another location because the bylaw officers will uh, reject it based on the, the bylaw of the 500 meter separation distance. 
And so you have to buy someone else who's there, who has a license. So these liquor licenses are transferable between businesses? It's like a pseudo-taxi medallion system? Kind of. It, it is It is actually that that location has a liquor license. And so then um, also what was brought up as an argument uh, against separ- separation distances is um, that kind of lends itself to some predatory practices. So we heard from some of the retailers, and I think this was back in the 2016 debate when they were talking about removing the separation distances distance in suburban areas, which which did happen, actually. So in 2016, council got rid of the separation distance in suburban areas, so just on the edges of the city. So that essentially just meant those big box stores where you have like a Costco and then you have maybe a superstore or something like that or a wine and beyond. Th- there can be two of them at a major intersection now. Um, the reason they approved that was essentially because no one's walking in those areas. Those are drive to locations. So it doesn't really have the same at all impact of uh of a bunch of liquor stores in a downtown area. The other aspect, I remember council was complaining about a lot of the uh, applications that they refuse uh, get overturned at the SDAB, which we've heard about in other cases. I have the numbers here. So since 2007, 48 applications that were refused by the city development officer, they went to the SDAB. And in, in 20 cases, the SDAB agreed and granted an exception. So that's basically almost half of the cases where the city says, nah, you can't have an exception here. SDB says, well, you can. That's right. And, the, and you know, the councillors asked why, why, why was this happening? Um, and essentially they found that there was no discernible land use difference um, with having a liquor store there, I suppose, as to any other retailer, uh, which kind of shows that administration itself doesn't believe that the separation distance is doing anything tangible. Um, and that was, that was echoed in all of the reports that they brought to city council this week. So uh, administration was quite firm on the fact that this doesn't work. It didn't stop the proliferation of liquor stores uh, anywhere but including downtown and they they did do a lot of really good reporting and research um, I went through all the documents and um, there's there's a lot in there um, and essentially it does seem that it doesn't really have a tangible effect on controlling the market the way we would like it to be controlled now I will say one thing I noticed in the report was that they kind of really skipped over the social, social impacts of uh, concentration of liquor use. There is an AHS document in there that says if you increase liquor stores, you increase social ills. And I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. So that is, and that's a very valid concern. It was maybe a surprise to Councillor McKean, right? He changed, he had a change of heart on this, according to CBC. Uh, you know, he, McKean said that he thought if we had more competition, it would weed out the sketchy operators. And he said this was about improving safety, security, and removing as much as we could the exploitation of vulnerable people. And then heard from people that council this week and said, actually, that's really hard. Yeah. Of the people who spoke this week, only one was in favor of removing the separation distance. And that was a representative from Alcana. Um, Alcana is a partnership between uh, Aurora Cannabis and Liquor Stores NA. It used to be called Liquor Stores NA, which is Liquor Depot. So it's right. essentially the largest liquor operator and the largest cannabis operator. So as you can imagine, they're pretty in favor of a completely free and open market. So why do you think they should have gotten rid of the separation distance then? What is the reason for that? Yeah, not that I am a diehard capitalist who firmly believes in the invisible hand of the free market, although that's certainly what it sounds like. I do think that you have to open up the market to be able to have any um, 
material changes to happen. So right now, essentially, they've grandfathered in all of the people who have liquor stores in the downtown area and in a lot of other places, too. In most mature neighborhoods, they're kind of at their saturation point. And I know the argument as well, if we decrease or remove the separation distance, then we're going to be even more saturated with them. Um, That might happen. And I don't want that to happen. I don't think anyone really wants that to happen other than maybe other liquor stores. But what happens now is you've artificially inflated the value of those licenses, as I explained earlier, with um, with other operators having to come in and buy them if they want to set up shop there. Um, you've also increased predatory practices. So like I said earlier, where um, developers in some areas were charged with getting a liquor license to block other operators from setting up shop. So whoever was the retailer that they were working with, um, you know, they get a license for them and then everyone else is out of luck. So so new people can't set up shop, um, new people being good or bad. So um, Divine Wines, to, to mention them again, um, not that I mean to name drop my former employer, but... Um, it's my it's my home liquor store. I live like just down the block. You live right beside it. Yeah. And yeah. so you're, you're lucky that that is your home liquor store, right? That's like a block away a from one. your house. It's a great one. Right. And uh, yeah, imagine if you were, you know, down the street from a really seedy discount liquor store, right? Sure. Would you be shopping there maybe if you were desperate i suppose (laughs) um you'd probably walk a little bit further and go to a slightly better one um so by freezing the separation distance law no one can set up shop you can't have another good one like divine and you can't have more bad ones which i think everyone assumes that if we got rid of the rule it would just be a slew of all these discount ones but i think there's a lot of interest in um small independent shops uh, catering to a very different crowd than would would be catering to at a discount store. And and that's maybe a little bit too optimistic or very optimistic. Um, But it is an argument that can only be made if you have a free market, right? Where someone who wants to specialize in craft beer or spirits has to, you know. Well, and the argument could be made that by having a separation distance, you're forcing the homogenization of all liquor stores because if you have the option to, I can sell specific craft beers or I can sell all liquors that I just picked up from a wholesaler. Well, you're going to do the second one because it makes you more money and you can't open a separate store. Yes and no. I mean, why did Divine open, right? So um, they have a very different business model. And I think that with the changes that we're seeing downtown, I think that more people would be willing to get into a market where they're not just in it for for a bottom line. They're not just there because they just want to make money, as much money as possible, and that's it. I think that you would you would see more retailers who really want to um, create something beneficial to the community. So what's next then? Is Daryl Cates going to get his liquor store? Like, what, no. what's up What's up next at council for this item? Nope. So so it was shot down. So um, He could get an exemption? Or sorry, the Stantec could get an exemption? They could, but it doesn't look like that's happening. So they've, they've, they've pretty much rejected that. Um, Councillor McKean made a motion, and it was to proceed on three of the items, but not the separation distance. So they axed that. So that's essentially done for downtown. I don't think it's, well, it could come back. This issue does seem to to be reappearing over and over. Right. But um, for now, admin is going to go back and draft some amendments to the design regulations, the parking, uh, and the difference between major and minor liquor stores. So they're proceeding on those items, but not the separation distance. So just to recap, you said there's a very extensive admin report that's well-researched based on facts and evidence that says these absolutely don't work. It was presented to council and council said, nah. Yeah, it was uh, it was kind of interesting because there's a lot of lobbying in the liquor industry. And as I said, a lot of um, 
pretty much all of the people speaking on the issue, with the exception of the guy from Elkana, were arguing against it. And a lot of it was based on the social impacts. And I will say that the admin report had a glaring oversight in that it didn't say anything about social impacts. Obviously, there's a pretty significant social impact with alcohol. And I think that's what everyone was focusing on, is people were thinking, oh, no, this means that there's going to be a bunch of... Um, you know, drunk people everywhere downtown, I right. guess, um, which isn't what we want. Um, but I would argue that, well, I mean, it's not hard to get liquor in Edmonton as it is anywhere in the city, including downtown as it is. So um, would would it get worse if we got rid of the distance? I don't know. It's speculation. But as I said, it freezes it. And so I just don't think that that is, is the sole reason. And that maybe sounds really harsh and like I don't care about people with substance abuse issues, which isn't the case. Yeah, at it all. sounds like you're trying to look at some facts and make a judgment call. <laughs> yeah, it's and it's really touchy and it and it really um it gets people on a, a much deeper level than just a rational level. It's yeah. um people have, you know, there's lives at stake quite quite literally in this issue. So um that's certainly something to consider. But I found it very fascinating how socially conservative um the tone seemed to be of of most people when when faced with this issue. Um the cannabis separation distance is 200 meters and liquor stores is 500. So I thought it was really interesting. And, and there was so much pearl clutching about cannabis that right. um, it seems like we were even more so about uh, about liquor. Um, well, now we're talking about opening cannabis stores and malls. I don't think that we'd have people saying, you know what West Edmonton Mall needs? needs a few more liquor depots like i don't think that's coming up yeah there is actually a, a wine store in west edmonton mall Alegra, uh and it's uh it's more of a wine boutique so it's actually a nice shop it's not it's not just like a little little liquor depot so the last point i sort of want to address because you said this a couple times where there's nice and not so nice liquor stores and aglc has minimum pricing so you can't have retailers competing extensively on price there there is a bottom you can race to the bottom but there is a floor set by aglc so when we're talking about competition in liquor stores it's got to be the experience at the store i'm i don't drink how does a retailer of liquor differentiate themselves in terms of experience what what is the difference there uh well you can't get a big shopping cart around divines like you can at wine and beyond for one thing <laughs> True. yeah in my mind it's just like a liquor store is somewhere you go before getting smashed on christmas with relatives you don't like uh that that is my understanding of the cultural phenomenon of liquor stores so help me out here what what is a great liquor store look like in a community context well, I think Divine is a good example and there are other good examples. So I would say pop in and take a look and then pop into the discount retailer down the street from them and take a look. And I think it's pretty obvious from just first glance the difference between them. But this comes down to um, different cultures and the different ways that people use alcohol. And that's something that in North America, we have a really prohibitionist mindset. So we, we I think we're still stuck in what I like to call the hangover of prohibition, where we're still really conservative about liquor. Uh, if you go to Europe, and this was mentioned at council too, um, Ben Henderson actually was kind of just musing, but he said, you know, I wonder if the um, restrictive attitudes we have and the, and the restrictions we're actually physically imposing on these stores are, are almost creating a culture where you have more, I guess, problems with liquor or creating this mindset that it's sort of this um, bad thing and, and you just drink it to get drunk and that's the only reason for it. Whereas if you go to a place like Europe and you can literally buy uh, beer from a vending machine, walk down the street 
in a park <laughs> drinking yeah, it and, right. and no one bats an eye. So that's something to consider as well. And that's, I mean, we're talking about a major culture shift, right? So there's certainly people who are using alcohol um, irresponsibly, but I think there's more and more people who are using it responsibly, who stop in at a place like Divine um, to buy a nice bottle of wine with dinner and they're not mm-hmm. using it um, irresponsibly. Like they're, they're just enjoying it as part of their life. And when you ask the folks at Divine to recommend a bottle, they'll actually be able to do that. Right, yeah, they have, they have so trained staff is one thing people who actually care about the product they're selling they're going out and they're finding good products to sell they don't just bring in the cheapest bottle of vodka and say here drink this because there's lots of different way better vodkas on the market including many made by local craft distillers in alberta now and and so i mean that's sort of a side issue that um should be considered as well though is that the province is doing a lot to support our local liquor industry right and you could argue that separation distances in the major cities is kind of hindering that because if anyone wants to really specialize in those products they either have to they have to have a license now or find a spot on the edge of the city i guess or get an exemption from the sdab exactly administration was directed to prepare uh, some bylaw amendments it'll come back to public hearing when those are done probably a few months from now at least that's liquor stores any final closing thoughts on liquor stores uh one thing that was mentioned that i I did want to include is that there was lots and lots of talk about how um land use bylaws is just really not the best way to deal with the issues at stake and i agree it's separation distances is, is really clunky and it's not a good tool admins straight up says it doesn't work um what is the option um, to control, you know, the the bad side effects of liquor stores in Edmonton. Um, it really comes down to policing. So they kind of just said, well, it's up to Edmonton police to <laughs> keep track of unruly behavior and social disorder. Uh, it's up to AHS, I guess, to also deal with the, you know, the medical consequences of that and maybe do some public health uh, education initiatives. Uh, there was one, one counselor, and I can't remember which one it was, floated the idea of... Uh, approaching the AGLC because this uh, liquor is provincially legislated and so putting all of this on the cities to sort of manage is maybe unfair and there was someone kind of musing about how well maybe we should approach uh, the AGLC and maybe we should do that through the AUMA and get together with Calgary and other municipalities who are also struggling with these issues and uh, and kind of approach them to maybe crack down on the uh, on the I would say maybe non-compliant retailers or the retailers, uh, the problem retailers, we'll say. Uh, and that I think that's a fantastic idea. And I think that's absolutely what should happen. And it was kind of just mentioned as a side note. And then everyone kind of seemed to move on. And so I'm a little disappointed that I don't think there's a lot of traction um, with that, because I think that that's that would really start to start to get at the heart of this. I'll write your counselor if you agree. Maybe we'll get an inquiry going. And that's how these things will come about. So I want to move on quickly uh, before we run out of time, because Mayfair, uh, which we talked about last week, and we had Michael Jans on a couple episodes ago to talk about right. the issue of the golf course. It came back to council, and uh, we said off the top that council almost made a decision here. What what happened, Mac? Well, they did what they usually do, and they kicked the can down the road a little bit. So they discussed the, the lease, and, and really what they came up with was, hmm, there are other golf clubs in the River Valley, like the Highlands Golf Club. Maybe we should figure out if we could make these things more similar. And so they asked administration to compare the two leases uh, and bring a report back at the end of April talking about um, you know, how they could make the Mayfair's lease more similar to Highlands, which offers things like junior golf and tee times and um, year-round washroom facilities that are open to the public. Like they have some other public amenities that are part of their lease, evidently. So there was a couple interesting things that came up this first uh, everyone sort of assumed that it was part of the Mayfair's lease that they provided cross-country skiing in right. the winter. Apparently, it's not. They just the did that. Um, yeah, which 
kudos thanks i guess um maybe put up a sign um i don't think they let anyone in to use the bathroom though no you are expressly prohibited from using the bathroom um so you can write your name in the snow i guess uh that's the sort of good neighborliness that mayfair is promoting mayfair had mentioned that they are amenable to adding that to the new lease agreement for the 18 year extension right but the other interesting part that don iveson commented on this issue and it struck me as a really tone-deaf comment. He said, quote, I never like it when one group of Edmonton is pitted against another group of Edmontonians. It felt like that was what was happening with this. I think the question is really, is the Mayfair a good partner for the city? Have they been for decades? The answer, I think, is yes. And there's a lot to break down there. First, I don't know that 425 rich people versus the rest of Edmontonian is pitting Edmontonians against each other. It's a very small wedge there. Yeah. But the other part is, has Mayfair been a good partner for the city? Because I don't see Mayfair as a partnership. I see them getting a sweetheart deal for a rich golf course in the center of the city. And just because rich people have had a golf course for a couple decades does not mean they are entitled to an 18-year extension so that they can build a new clubhouse. I don't know. Am I off base there? No, no. That's I mean, that's exactly what I said when we talked about this last week or the week before, right? That just because things have been one way and a previous council made one decision doesn't mean that we can't as a city collectively decide that we have to go in a new direction. Context is different and things have changed. And you've got councillors talking about the importance of the River Valley on one hand and then unwilling to do anything about it on the other. Um, I did, yeah, I did appreciate the, the humor of the comment too, that it was, you know, these 400 rich people against Michael Jans. Edmonton man. Uh, <laughs> So the problem I have here is with Iveson's comments there and with Henderson's comments a couple of weeks ago, I think it's pretty clear that council has no initiative to actually end this lease. I think council is looking for their quick out where they can get some political cover and say, eh, hands are tied. There's nothing we can do about this. Um, so administration was sent back to talk with the other golf clubs and see what can be done for public access. But essentially how I see this ending is we're definitely granting them an 18-year extension to the lease, 100%. I would wager the rights to this podcast on that bet. <laughs> um, what's going to happen is there's going to be some other public amenity. Um, Mayfair will fight hard back against public washrooms, uh, like who letting people use the washrooms, that stuff, but they might host a bonfire to let you know that you can ski there. That's, I think, the extent of what we're going to get out of this. Yeah, there's two thoughts I have on this quickly, just to know how it's coming back. So one is they've created another opportunity for the public to voice their opinion, right, by having this come back to council. So they kicked it down the road, but they also create a small opening. Um, the other thing is it makes me think a little bit of towers and rezoning towers and the discussion that went from doing it on a case-by-case -case basis to coming up with a community benefits policy and a you know formula to figure out like if you're going to build a tower this tall this is what the community has to get in return maybe we'll see something like that in the river valley well i mean we do have a formula for development in the river valley it's don't <laughs> <laughs> which you know this is another topic for another day i'm not completely in agreement with i think there's areas of the river valley we should be developing but we should make sure that we're going to benefit from it collectively as edmontonians not just 400 rich people so we'll look forward to that it's coming back to committee on april 25th so i'm sure we'll talk more about that as it comes up until it comes up again we're a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, and there's other shows in the network. There are other shows in the network, great shows that you can check out. One of those is called the Read Along Podcast. It's hosted by husband and wife team Scott and Anita Bourgeois. It's described as a mini book club for your ears, and we have a clip. 
You know, I love books, and I would like to join a book club, but uh, it seems like such a big commitment. Why is that? Reading a whole book in a month, that takes a lot of time. Well, what if it was only one chapter, say, a week? Organizing to meet up with people is a lot of work. Well, what if it was only half an hour whenever it worked for you? That would be great. The read-along. It's a mini book club for your ears. Join my wife, Anita. And my husband, Scott. On a weekly journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at at a time. time. Part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. And subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts can be found. And that's all for this week. Uh, thanks, Mel, for joining us. If you had to plug the best liquor store in Edmonton, which would it be? Ooh, I don't really want to do that. I'm going to start a flame war amongst that's the okay. local liquor stores. We try to start fights, but our <laughs> guests are always too, too sharp. Adept. Oh. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And I'm Mel. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. municipally.